this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. Have a good day. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Welcome to Mutual Presents. I'm Jack Ward, and this is our second last panel from MadCon 2021 from last July. This week, Lothar Tuppen hosts a panel entitled, Now I Am the Master which gives you everything you want to know about what mastering is with John Scott Ballantyne, Pete Lutz, and Michael Stokes. Enjoy. Welcome back to the uh, second to the last session here of MatCon Virtual 2021. Um, I'll be your moderator for this panel. I'm Jeff Billard, and I'm a... Uh, Quickly, I'm a retired university professor who taught theater and acting and directing and uh, also been doing uh, audio drama for a long time. And I want to welcome back these fine panelists. I'm going to start with John Ballantyne. John, can you just give us a quick uh, introduction to yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, uh, working with audio for a good many years and uh, Actually, had worked in radio for a couple of years too. Back in uh, back in the dark ages when you actually spun records, um, <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of fell out of audio for the longest time. I did some independent film stuff with some friends of mine and, and things like kind of dabble with you know work, working creatively with actors and <clears throat> production stuff. But uh, you know, about 10, uh, 11, 12 years ago, I came back to audio because it's so easy to manipulate audio now with digitally uh with all and, and various other you know audio dolls uh so uh i thought well you know it might, might be a cool time to to do an audio series so that's kind of radio theater kind of came out of that my love for horror audio and old school horror audio and stuff from the 80s that i listened to on the um, that's kind of where i'm coming from fabulous well welcome and Pete Lutz. Welcome, Pete. Hi. Very glad to be here again. Um, I am uh, Pete, and I did, I performed my first audio drama in, um, uh, when I was in the Navy. It was for a training session. It was all about the military code of conduct, and I had one guy uh, with me on a microphone, and, and we did a, a, a radio drama all about the code of conduct, and it took place nice. in a prison camp. So I've been doing it for going on 40 years now <laughs> on and off. Um, but uh, I wrote my first actual radio, radio type audio drama um, in 2001 and um, started the Narada radio company doing uh, pulpery theater and such in uh, 2013 and have been um, going strong ever since. I'm late to the podcasting table, but I've been trying to make up for that by putting out uh, as much content as possible. So yes, very glad to be here amongst my friends. I know many of the, many of the guys here, and have been a fan of uh, John Scott Ballantyne for 
ever since I first discovered his Campfire Radio Theater. So it's kind of a thrill, little fanboy thing for me to be on the panel with him today. Oh, Pete. Great. Thank you. And welcome you. in Michael Stokes. Hi, Michael. A little introduction. And you're on mute, Michael. You're on mute, Mike. How about you? All right. So, hi. Good to be here. Um, I started with audio drama in back in 2009. Uh, I, I ran into a character by the name of Jay Smith. Uh, we started a collaboration for uh, an audio drama called HG World. That got me launched into mixing and uh, recording for audio drama. And that went for many, many years. And then uh, I worked with Jack Ward a few times. I worked with uh, a couple of small companies here and there. Uh, pretty much mostly on the engineering side. Um, I started out, uh, you know, recording and, and mixing with music. So it was a fairly easy transition over to audio drama. Um, I haven't been working in audio drama as of late, but I certainly miss it. And uh, it's a wonderful medium. Great. And do you prefer Michael or Mike? Um, you can call me anything but late for dinner. Um, All right. Well, okay. I'll do that. Then. I was, I was going to call him late for dinner. Damn. All right. And last is the uh, someone I get the privilege of collaborating with on a regular basis is uh, my dear friend and brother, Lothar Tuppen. Hey, Lothar. I'm Lothar and I'm tired. I'm <laughs> Great. Absolutely fantastic this weekend. Um, I've been doing stuff since 2010, acting, writing, producing for all sorts of people. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> doing some amazing, amazing stuff. Well, We've gone through the week, the weekend, I was going to say week, but uh, the weekend, we started off Friday with writing and, and then Saturday we went into recording and, and uh, you know, production mode. And now we're into post-production mode today. And we talked about soundscapes today, right? And, and just amazing things. Or I understand about a third of it, maybe if I'm lucky. Um, but now we're into mastering and, and Jack has called this session. Now I am the master. So I guess I, guess <laughs> I want to take we, over the world. I, yes, I guess now you are the master. So I'm just going to listen and try to facilitate this. Um, I won't have so much to say. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, so the the question when we get down to mastering and and I, I'm I'm going off of some of the things Jack put down here, but. When you go to master, so you've, you've done everything, you've, you've mixed it, you've put it all together. Are you mastering for a certain um, outcome, like somebody listening on headphones or in a car, or, or is it just all of the same thing? I mean, I, you know, I'm legitimately asking that question. John, how about I, I would actually like to uh, ask a question of what is mastering and then how do we do it? Because I kind of know what mastering is, but I'd really be curious from like Michael Stokes's point of view, what technically really is mastering? Uh, I'm the moderator. No, um, so I'm, I'm just sorry. Man. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll let go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for the help. Any help you can give. Power me. grab already. Oh my God. Uh, All right. So I'm sorry, no, Jeff. So I just thought that was an important one to put in there. You, you, you let guys moderate a couple panels and this is what happens. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. I, I think that's a great question. Let's start. Let's 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 retcon that and uh, go back. And uh, only you D and D folks will get that, maybe. But um, so, Michael, if you can answer Lothar's question, that would be wonderful. I will try. So, thank you. Mastering is a bunch of things. Um, 
one, it's it's bringing whatever your mix mix or mixes have been up to production loudness levels. You know, all the major uh, media outlets have requirements about loudness. We certainly want our finished product, whether it's music, it's audio drama, whatever the source, we want it to be as loud as possible because loud is always better. Um, it's also about, you know, looking at it, it, mastering an album of music versus mastering uh, 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 an episode of audio drama. You want all your scenes or all your songs or whatever to be at the same level. So your listener's not reaching for the volume knob to turn it up and turn it down at any time. So leveling between different scenes um, is important, song scenes, whatever. Um, and that, I mean, that's really the goal of mastering is that final production loudness level, that things are balanced uh, between tracks. And sometimes you might, if you're mastering something that somebody else mixed, you might be looking to make some minor enhancements. I mean, any kind of changes in, in the actual audio quality are usually very, very small. Uh, but sometimes can make a big difference. You got a fresh pair of ears if it's a different person mastering. And sometimes adjustments are made, light adjustments to EQ, light adjustments to, to things like compression and saturation. But in the end, it's just putting that final polish, getting the, the level between the different pieces and bringing it up to whatever production volume is required by the different media outlets. Are there any questions? I think this pretty much ends it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything, does anyone else have anything to add to that at all? That was that pretty thorough, a, really. That's a cogent, yeah. that's a very cogent, thorough answer. And that's, I, that's better than I could have done. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad you guys went for Michael because I, it, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, in writing terms, it's kind of like uh, putting a final polish on, you know, a final draft. Yeah. Well, I do remember it. though, Lothar, in one of our many talks about mm -hmm about um, mixing and, and subsequently mastering, one of the things that you told me early on was to make sure it was loud enough. I, I always remembered that, you know, it, it's like, and so I, I was glad to hear Michael say that, because, you know, not that I didn't believe you, because I always try to do that, is, you know, is make sure it's loud enough so that, and I know that in, uh, like on an iPhone, there's, there's things like the headphones, it'll regulate the loudness and things like that for you like automatically it'll, whatever the word would be Apple um, you is know draconian so, about that yeah apple yeah, is draconian so, about that they will build it in of like we don't want you to put turn up the level no matter how much you want yeah so so it's, it's interesting and uh, so good so now that we have a good definition of of mastering is there different mastering for different ways that people are going to consume your product whether it's headphones or in a car, or is it all the same? I legitimately don't know. John, you get that one? Uh, yeah, I, you know, one of the first things I, I think you want to do, I mean, you want to mix and, and master for the best quality sound you can. And, okay. you know, if you've got, to, I, usually, I usually do it over headphones. Um, some say that's not a good idea, but I figure, you know, I've got a set of uh, decent speakers I can listen to the, the final mix over. They're not, you know, studio monitor speakers, but they sound pretty good. Um, but I usually master, do master over a good set of KLH240 headphones. A pretty flat response and, you know, gives you uh, a pretty realistic uh, interpretation of what, you, what you, your final product should be over 
but but it's good to I would say listen through different sources. Listen on iPod with cheap earbuds. Listen uh, on a radio in a car with road noise. Um, you want to listen to all because when I started out, I mixed for for that perfect sound, how it sounded to me in the headphones. So mm-hmm. it would be maybe a little too quiet at times. Maybe I needed to bring the dynamic compression up on something. Maybe you can't hear somebody's voice as good. But uh, I, you know, I thought it sounded great until I, I took it in my truck without any AC, rolled the windows down, and listened through some old crappy earbuds. And I'm like, I can't hear the music cue here. Oh, okay. The sound cue here. So um, it's very important to listen to different types of devices because people who are listening to podcasts, which let's face it, most of us doing audio drama are putting them out as podcasts. Right. Listen on the go. They're listening in all kinds of different environments. So you want to be able to get your show across to anybody who may be listening, however they may be listening. Fantastic. Pete, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I like to um, uh, use a program that Jack introduced me to. It's called The Levelator. So if I get any sort of, if I, I, I just, I drop it in, it, it boosts everything at once. Uh, I used to do it with individual files, but now I, uh, I try to mix everything and then I run it through the levelator. So it brings it up and then I can see, is it, uh, is it mastered? Is it distorted? Um, because you, you might have that problem. So it, it's a, um, if you get everything at once and then run it through, and it's a free program, by the way. So if you've never heard of it, it's, it's something you can download and use. Uh, the Levelator is what it's called. Very simple, drop in the file. It does everything automatically and then saves it automatically to your, to your computer fo- uh, folder. But um, when I was listening to uh, John and Mike, um, uh, for me, I'm mixing for a particular person, uh, um, somebody who might be driving in the car. I, I do everything on headphones. I, I, I listen while I'm, and while I'm producing, but I, I do everything so it could be done either on headphones or uh, on car speakers or something like that. And I will listen in my car. If, if uh, the stereo <clears throat> is, is too off, like if I can't hear everything uh, or my son can hear something that a character said when he's sitting in the passenger seat, but I couldn't hear it in the driver's seat, I made a mistake and I have to go and fix that. Um, because there are uh, listeners out there who don't have hearing in both ears. And if you do something too fancy with stereo, they're going to miss something because they can't hear it. So I'm playing for um, um, sort of a, a general audience and, and including people who might be partially deaf or who might not uh, be able to pick up those um, uh, fancy subtleties that uh, other producers might go for. Fabulous. Lothar, how about you? Um, yeah, I started off by trying to listen in as many venues as possible and quickly found out that cars have a whole lot more bass uh, than headphones and um, some things just didn't sound quite right. And then I was looking into stuff from my old video days and film and found out that, you know, actually when people make film, they master it in different ways for the venue. So they have one version that goes out on the screen, another version that goes out for broadcast, another version that goes out for DVD, and they have to actually do mastering for those different levels. So I now take more of a level of what, what is my optimum level? I want to I do what Pete does to where everybody can hear my show, 
but I optimize it for headphones because that's what I like and that's what I like to listen to. And so that's what I'm gearing it towards, but I don't want anybody to lose anything either, but I will have the, the headset be my guideline because that's the way that I like to listen. And that's kind of why I'm designing it for is that immersive stereoscape. Um, if I did it for the car, I'd, it just changes some things. There was one thing that Bill did that was great until you played it in almost any car stereo and then it almost blew out the subwoofers. You remember they used to call them the, the boom, right? Um, so it's important to, to recognize that. I, I usually, for my last pass with my final, everything's mixed together into one track and I'm about to output, I will use a limiter to bring it up, um, which is kind of like Michael, if he has any technical thing to explain the difference between a limiter and a compressor, because I don't fully understand, except I know compression actually affects the dynamics and we can, it, you know, in music, they talk about you do too much compression, you do the, you call what's hitting the brick wall. And that's not something to be done. And you can't do that with a limiter, but you can with a compressor. And I'm still trying to get a handle on when I should use a limiter, when I should use a compressor during the mastering process. All right, Michael. Oh, sure. Um, so really the essential difference between limiting and compression is about the ratio. Anytime you exceed a 10 to one ratio, you're, you're, you're in the, in the, uh, the field of limiting. So any compressor push past 10 to one is doing, is, that's a limit, that's more of a limiter. And in terms of brick wall, you only, I mean, brick wall is applied <clears throat> to limiters and that basically sets a hard stop for the, for the absolute uh, loudness that your audio can go to and it will start to subtract sound if necessary to avoid exceeding that limit. So if you don't want any digital clipping, and of course we don't want digital clipping, you can set your brick wall at like 0 0.01 minus 0 0.01 dB, and the limiter will keep the audio from exceeding that so you don't have any digital clipping in your final output. Okay. That's basically it. Limiting is just a much more severe form of compression. Okay. Wow. That's, I, and I know that, and I, I think a lot of this is from talking to you, Lothar and Bill, but you know when I do something, I just I I use the headphones and then, but then I'll, I'll you know shoot out a piece of it and I'll go and I'll, when I'm driving in my car I'll listen to it, I, you know I'll listen to it on earbuds or you know full headphones I'll just listen to it on my phone just sitting you know out I'm just trying to see because I you know I don't really understand all the technical stuff but I, I maybe I can hear something, so I, I'm, I'm you know I think it's a great question it's some great information that. We've come up with it. And speaking about uh, questions, I'll just tell the folks who are listening that uh, feel free to add your question to the Q and A um, part. And, and sometimes, maybe for those of us on the panel, if we quote something that people might be interested in, you might want to add it to the chat so they can have it, um, you know, written in front of them or anything like that. So. Um, So what are some what are some best practices then to we've talked about mixing, we've talked about how we want to mix, who we want to mix it for, the, the different ways that people are going to consume them, because you're right, John, you know, they're all podcasts and people are wherever, you know, whether Apple headphones in or whatever. So what are some best practices that you use to uh, to accomplish that? Pete, how about we start with you? Best practices? Yeah. <laughs> My main thing is that I just want everybody to understand what's being said and, and, and everything is clear um, without, you know, and, and that the, because 
a lot of a lot of times in there have been other panels on this with remote recordings and and people mm -hmm. sending in their files uh you want to make sure that everybody sounds as as if they're in the same room and they're recording um and how do you get that um i i'm i'm pretty ignorant on on limiting and compression and and, yeah. and that sort of thing um the main thing is i just want everybody to understand what's being said and i don't want to provide any distortion uh if there is clipping in somebody's file i generally say you need to turn your mic down and send it back to me okay uh do it do it over again other than that i don't have anything to contribute to this to this question sorry. okay good that's fine no john, sorry how about, <laughs> how about you john uh best practices um you know what pete said there is is right on point um you know there's uh I, since i'm writing most of the stuff we do there's certain dialogue that i will i will be like you know it's throwaway dialogue in some situations and if there's a sound effect that covers it up or maybe it's not completely intelligible uh i don't worry about it if it's something you have to know there's you know a nuclear device in the other room that's getting ready to go off Right, there's a line of dialogue that, that uh, you know you need to hear that. That's important. Um, but uh, you know, uh, it is important to 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 hear these things. But important to hear certain sound cues, and and that kind of goes to my point from earlier of of just being able to, you know, use compression to dynamic compression to to be able to hear clearly the. The, the low points of when the actor, the, the quieter moments, as well as the, the, uh, the louder moments uh, and kind of putting it on an even keel uh, so that uh, you, know, you don't blow people's ears out when it gets loud uh, and they're not sitting there turning it up when it gets too quiet. Um, I think you want to do that. At the same time, you also have to keep in mind that as much as you use dynamic compression, it squeezes your stereo image, basically. So you lose some of the depth of, of a stereo image, uh, the imaging of, of a stereo sound. Uh, so you have, to, it, it, you have to use it with a light hand, I think, the compression. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very good thing, but too much of it is, is a bad thing. Can you explain um, what dynamic compression is? Well, it's, it's basically taking the, the quiet moments of, let's say you've got an actor, uh, you've got a voice actor, it's taking, you know, their voice goes up and down. Maybe they, you know, they're, they could be really close to the mic, but if they, if they get quiet, maybe you're not going to hear them as well. Um, so it kind of com it compresses that and makes it all kind of on, puts it kind of on an even keel. Um, depending on how much compression you use. Um, it basically, you know, it can raise the volume of, of, of the voice actor. And basically, uh, it, to my, my thought process is it makes them more intelligible. But it also raises other things like, you know, the background noise floor, if you're not careful. Um, Obviously, noise reduction can come in there to, to fix those kinds of issues. But um, a lot of times, if you if you hear a commercial on the radio and it's super loud, 
Mm -hmm. uh, chances are they've really cranked the volume on that and, and the compression. So you hear a commercial, somebody that, that, that uh, you know, uh, a, a company that they want to hear every single word in that commercial within that 30 second burst, they want to hear everything. So they've really cranked the compression up on that. Now, that's great. But for audio drama, you know, you don't, I don't think you want to, you know, uh, knock people over the head like that. You want a little more subtlety. So you want to, you know, use your compression a little more judiciously, I guess. But, great. Uh, thank, thank you. Michael, do you have anything to add to the, that discussion? So best practices? Um, yeah. Well, again, you know, I agree with both, you know, Pete and John, you know, with audio drama, dialogue is king, right? Everything uh, it best supports the dialogue. So, you know, using whatever tools you have to use, whether it's subtractive EQ, it's compression, saturation, anything that helps the dialogue, you know, uh, stand apart from your ambience and from your, your sound effects without, you know, um, without being obtrusive uh, is what you apply. And when it, in terms of practical application, um, compression, I find um, what's worked well for me both in music and in audio drama is a little bit of compression uh, throughout the mix and throughout the mastering. So that I don't load up one compressor to do all the work in, on a single track. I'll, I'll do a little compression on the track. I'll do a little compression at the, at the, at the mix bus for uh, say I have a bus where I put all the vo all the voice stuff in there. I'll do a little compression on that, and maybe a little ex a little additional compression on the master bus. So the 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 artifacts that John was alluding to there are some negative artifacts that can pop out sometimes with compression, especially if you're heavy-handed. Uh, just a little bit to use as little as possible to get that natural sound. We don't want artificial pumping. We don't want things sounding. Uh, too uh, monotone because we've lost all the dynamic quality of the person's voice. So, you know, it's, it's about moderation. Um, it's about, you know, using my ears to make sure that things sound natural really is the key. Can I ask Great. a question on that uh, real quick, Michael? When uh, you talk about artifacts, are you talking about uh, uh, artificial clicks and pops that, that sort of find their way into your recording? Or, or what exactly do you mean by artifacts? Well, I was kind of going back, covering what John had talked about. I mean, compression is great. It, it helps you, you know, bring down the really high, stuff, the really loud stuff, and which allows you to then bring up softer stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem is when you, brought, like John alluded to, when you bring up the softer parts of the recording, you, there's going to be some warts in there. You're going to get more mouth voices. All right, you, you have to find that happy medium where you get where you limit the dynamic range so you can hear everything nothing's too loud nothing's too soft but you don't overemphasize some of the things that you might not hear in the quieter parts like mouth noises oh, okay right or, or gentle thumps against the mic stand and things like that that might have been masked in the softer parts but now you've compressed and brought those softer parts up okay yeah you're gonna you know if it's there, you're just amplifying it. So you've got to find that the sweet spot. Gotcha. And Thank I would you. Just like, just, just like Pete just did, I would encourage people who are in the audience, if there's a, a technical term that's used, please ask the question 
so that we can get that clarified for you so you don't leave going, well, what is compression? And uh, <clears throat> like that. So please, you know, use the uh, question and answer function and the chat function. We do have a question from Sharon, which I'm going to get to, but I want to get to Lothar first. Some best practices from you, Lothar, because yeah. I know you're um, meticulous. So, uh, I've got one best practice around compression, which ties in exactly with what John and Michael were just saying, which I, when I was first learning how to use compression, I tried doing it and I had a track and I came in too late with the compression and that was the problem. So oh. I had already mixed things together and I had a DJ that was playing music or music behind and he drops it down like the slider and he starts talking over it. And by the time I got to compression and played back my QA, all that music that I dropped down was suddenly now really high, masking out his voice. The whole track was garbage. Um, undo, undo, undo. I was able to use a limiter to fix that, but it was like, okay, you can't just apply compression at the end and make it bump it up. That's not really the way to do it. So that was a really good learning experience and scared the heck out of me. I'm like, ah! Broke my um, but I would say a good best practice that is non-technical, but absolutely essential is similar to like how a writer will finish a draft, stick it in a drawer, give it some time, and then come back and reread it. Let your mix sit for at least a day, if not a few more days, and then give it a QA. Because if you're QAing it right after you did the mix, you're not going to hear with a clean set of ears the way you will if you give it a moment to break. Now, obviously, if you got a deadline and you're crunching against it, do what you need to do. But if you have the luxury to do so, you'll you'll get a better QA on that. And what's your, what's QA? Oh, I'm sorry, quality assurance. Okay, just just throwing that out there. Thank you for that. Uh, we do have health. a question. We have a question from. Uh, oh, did you want to add something? I just said uh, acronym hell. It's it's a acronym. Oh, yeah. hazard, right? Yeah. We do have a um, question from Sharon Grunwald. Well, I'm so glad you're here, Sharon. Um, and thank you for your nice comments on Twitter about the con. She says, "Are ACX standards peak noise floor RMS a good measuring stick?" And what the heck is RMS anyway? Somebody wants to What's ACX? That That's one? what I want to know. Well, isn't is that like audible standards, audiobook standards? Is that what that is? Yes. Yeah. Can you can okay. you do you need me to reread the question or are you good? We good. Michael, can you take that? I will try. So there's two different kinds of, of level or volume, right? There's uh, there were especially when we're mixing and mastering we're looking at our instrumentation and our digital audio workstation this, there are peak volume levels and these are usually fairly transient um, and then there's, there's the and i can't remember exactly what rms stands for but it, it's basically the mean uh, right so it, it's a it's a weighted mean uh over a capture over time that kind of gives you an understanding over the last 30 seconds a relative mean of the audio was at, you know, minus two dB, where you've got peaks that go all the way up to, say, you know, minus 0.1. But it's sort of giving you the sort of, again, a weighted mean of, of, the, of the general loudness of the, the, whatever it is you're mixing and mastering with over a, a period of time. Thank you. And by the way, it means root mean square. And I just looked that up. And uh, so I didn't know that. And also when I said the, whatever it is, ACX, I just learned that yesterday. So um, I'm learning all kinds of stuff at this conference. So that's root mean square. Um, does anyone have anything to add to that? I certainly don't. 
um, like that. So, so Sharon, I hope that answers uh, that question for you. And if you have another one, please, please uh, shoot it out to us. Here's a question from Caitlin. And it says, do you also use socks to adjust the audio? SOX is that, I don't know what that is. Do you guys know? It says, do you also use socks, SOX to adjust the audio? I'm usually barefoot when I adjust my audio. So <laughs> like now. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's if uh, maybe Caitlin, you can clarify that for us um, as, as we move through. Um, so the, the thing is, as I'm, as I'm looking here at, at what Jack put up for us, when you're, um, when you master, do you, are you mastering as, what's the standard is today? Is, is it MP3? Is it something else? Is it something that I don't know about? Michael, how about start with you that time? Um, it's been a while since I've worked on audio drama, a few years at least, but MP3 was, uh, I guess, the main compressed file format. Um, right. I know Og Vorbis, there's two different words, O-G-G-I Vorbis, mm -hmm. uh, is another open source compressed file format that was becoming very popular. I know, for instance, that uh, Spotify, Spotify uses Og Vorbis because you can actually achieve a higher uh, quality of reproduction in a compressed format with Ogvorbis than you can over MP3. So I'm going to guess, and Pete and John and Lothar can, can correct me, but MP3 and Ogvorbis are probably the, the kinds of uh, the compressed formats that people are releasing things in. Lothar. Um, yeah, uh, MP3 is still standard for podcasts, usually 192K. They can do higher. Sometimes they'll do lower, but you know that's just for download speeds. Um, I know uh, Jack puts all the mutual audio stuff also on Spotify, which means right. that they can also do MP3. They do Og Vorbis, but they can also do MP3 because all of our stuff you know comes over to Spotify. Um, I would say whatever is easiest for if you're doing it as a podcast, do whatever the standard is. And I don't actually do a lot of the feed stuff specifically with podcasts. I just give my MP3s to Jack, but that seems to be you know appropriate. Are you are you mastering on MP3, Pete? I uh, uh, do everything uh, as a wave first. So I've got that high quality uh, recording and then I, I uh, transfer it to uh, MP3 for, uh, for mutual and for my own feed. Uh, I've heard of Og Vorbis, but yeah, because it was a term I wasn't familiar with, I was a very afraid of it. So I never even found out what it meant. Uh, uh, like I, I heard about it when I first started uploading stuff to archive.org in their community audio uh, um, section. And I said, do you want to save it as an Og Vorbis? And I said, uh, I don't know what that is. So I, I don't know. Is it, is it a, a different quality? Is, is, is it easier to access? Is it a higher bit rate or what? I, I, I don't know anything about it. It's but it, for me, it's waves and MP3s is what I do. Okay. Go ahead, Michael. It's a different kind of, uh, it's a different uh, algorithm for compressing the audio. Than MP3. MP, MP3 has some is is somewhat proprietary. Um, so Ogvorbis is completely open source. So I, I think people were moving a little bit more towards it to get away from some of the proprietary uh, complications that at one time were plaguing MP3. I don't know again where we're at with that right now. As far as I can tell, okay. MP3 is widely accepted, and it's just it's whatever flavor you, you want to go with. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I just seen that. A comment on the pizza comment about the wave. That's a really important thing. And to use a video metaphor, it'd be like that wave file is your master. Yes. In, in the master. And then when you make your duplication to go out to the end consumer, you're making your MP3s and your Og Vorbises and your things like that to whoever wants to do it. You could even do it at a really high level and burn it on a CD and give it to your friends to play in their antiquated CD players at this day. Right. But that that final wave file, that lossless file, that should be your master. And, and at least that makes it easy for me. Yeah, because MP3 is a lossy format. I didn't understand what that meant. And when I first started doing my, my, my shows, I did everything in MP3. But the more I saved it, the lesser the quality got. And I, I realized soon enough that I needed to start off with waves and, and move on from there. Yeah. John, do you do that? Do you use waves and then master into an MP3 or I'm Gorbis or whatever? Yeah, I, I usually take whatever... Um... I, I go right from the final mix uh, in Audacity and convert it to to MP3, um, and just oh, okay. the master, you know, of the of the show, um, which is you know it's it's essentially wave uh, is what it is CD quality. Um, so you take that down to MP3, and I I've always found you know at, at least probably. Uh, 192 is best for for MP3 if it's a stereo production. If you're much below that, it starts to sound a little weird in stereo. Um, but that seems to work best. That works best. Is um, this is this is just something I'm curious about? Are there times when now Lotha, you told me yesterday, I think it was yesterday that uh, we were talking about recording in mono. Mm -hmm. So you get a mono recording in from an actor. Do you make that into a stereo? Or yeah, with you... Audacity, you just you just paste it into a stereo track and it's stereo. Right, that's not manipulating right. it. But that's, so then how is that? So does that, what I'm trying to get to is when you, you get the mono track, so you get it and then you make it into a stereo track. Does that take away kind of that kind of delay or whatever you called it yesterday? Like sometimes you can get with a stereo, like offset on a stereo track. Isn't that what you told me yesterday? I don't remember. Or what Tanya was talking about or something. Maybe, maybe. Well, what was the problem with, with using stereo to uh, get oh, it? Really, oh, oh, it was when you're around a, if you're on a stereo microphone, you might get yeah. variance in volumes if the person's moving around the stereo as opposed to a mono mic where you're just getting that standard. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, it okay. depends on the setup and the, and the person doing it. It doesn't happen all the time, but there is times where it's like, wow, you really shouldn't have been doing that. Do you, do you guys do that as well? John, do you, do, do you take mono in and make it into stereo? And yeah, if so, yeah. why? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the, if the voice actors are delivering stuff, uh, I, I have had voice actors deliver me stuff in stereo. Maybe they're recording on a little Zoom recorder and they're using the, the, the stereo mode. Um, and that's not a big deal. I convert it to mono. If it's a quiet environment they're recording in, hopefully their voice isn't bouncing off the walls anyway. So the stereo will be fine. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised when they send me something like that. I'm like, you know, it has a little more three dimensionality to it. You know, maybe I'll keep it that way. But, um, you know, it just it, you've got a huge amount of control when you sit there at the, at the digital audio workstation, whatever kind of software you're using. So you can manipulate that stuff till 
till the cows come home and uh, just do whatever you want to with it and make it sound pretty much however you want. Pete, how about you? Some thoughts on that? Well, um, I edit my voices in mono. And if somebody sends me a stereo track, I'll generally convert it to mono. And then that way I can drop everything in. And then when I've got the full uh, audio voice track, then I split it to stereo and start adding in my sound effects and music and such. That also saves a lot of time for processing. If you're trying to do noise removal on a stereo track, it's going to take longer than doing it on a mono track. So you're getting that stuff done a lot faster that way. Yes, indeed. Okay, good. I'm learning a lot here because I send out a lot of lines in stereo. Uh, (laughs) And you send it in MP3 format too. I know that. (laughs) I send it. I love when people ask me to send it. So I got you. Give me a break, Pete. I'm just teasing you, man. Uh, Well, you know, well, (laughs) you know, I don't always appreciate that. So, um, so anyway, what, um, what else? So we we have about uh, you know fifteen minutes left, twenty minutes left. Caitlin has and... given us more information in the uh, Q and A about socks. Oh, good. Um, Sound so exchange. So original question is: do you, do you also use socks to adjust the audio? And she clarifies: it's, it's something I've used in work before. It's short for sound exchange. It is a cross-platform audio editing software. It has a command line interface and is written in standard C. It is free software, licensed under such and such, and it goes on for that. Uh, Looks like it's anybody have any? Never heard. Never never used it. First time I've heard of it. So maybe it's something to look into. Um, Are there any other? Are there any other plugins or anything else that people use that they found that work really well to help with? you know, getting to that, getting to the, you know, the final product. I found that the, uh, the noise reduction program in Isotope RX6, well, I have RX6, but it's moved on to RX7, I think. But the sound, the noise reduction program, uh, uh, function in that program is like magic. Uh, it, it just, takes away your white noise and, and a hum, and it doesn't distort your, your audio to any great extent. Uh, I have Cool Edit Pro, which is the, uh, the grandfather of Adobe Audition. And so uh, that sound, that noise reduction program makes you sound like you're in a cave because it strips it so badly, it takes away all of the, uh, the, the quality sound and leaves uh, a, a, a hollow ringing to your voice. But uh, uh, Isotope doesn't do that. So um, I, that's the, I bought it. I got it on sale for $29 one year uh, for Christmas. I bought it for myself. And that's the only thing I use it for is the noise reduction because I don't want to have to learn another program <laughs> to, for my editing. I still stick with Cool Edit Pro 2 and uh, use the Isotope only for the noise reduction. So, but I highly recommend it for that. I really do. And Lothar, you just purchased that, everything. right? Yeah, I just bought it last night after everybody's recommendations on these panels going, it's on sale for $199. I'm buying it. Oh, you're going to love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's what I hear. Well, yeah, so, hear. John, tell me what it, exactly what it, tell people exactly what it does. What it, like, first of all, what is it? Is it a standalone box? Is it something that goes into your computer? Is it a program, a plugin? It is a, a plugin. I think you can use it as a, as a standalone uh, as well. Uh, I've got it. I've got it working 
with Audacity, and it seems to to work really well for me. Uh, it does. I, I thought Audacity's noise reductions was pretty darn good. I mean, yeah, it's I think cumbersome because you do have to take a little sample, you know, a five second sample or whatever, and uh, use that. But it usually, you know, if you tweaked it, it would it would sound pretty good. If you go overboard with it, like like Pete said, uh, it maybe would would sound like you're underwater or something. You know, yeah. It would kind of. Uh, I guess if you want that effect, that's fantastic. But you know. <laughs> You know, normal dialogue. You know, uh, you don't you don't really want that. But um, the isotope uh, setup, I mean, it's pretty much just let it run and do its thing. You figure out how much of it you want to use. Yeah, if you want to go crazy with, I, I've never even put it at the highest setting. It still sounds pretty darn good. Um, so yeah, it's, it's highly recommended. It, it, it makes your life a lot easier when you're when you're mixing. Yeah. And so, Lothar, so did you mention that you had, you said it didn't quite work with Audacity? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, John, are you using RX-8 or RX-7? I think it's 7. I think I'm, okay. I, I think I'm using I, 7. I heard that 8 does not work because it, uh, it I moved to a 64-bit and... Um, Audacity still isn't. I saw a video that someone who uses Audacity just opens it up in its standalone editor mode, cleans the lines, and then brings it back into Audacity. Um, right. And it's easy yeah, for him. So either way, whatever whatever can work. Um, I, I'm looking forward to putting it through its paces. And like Bill Chessman just said in the chat, uh, Audacity's noise reduction is so much better than it used to be in the past, But um, which is great. But I'm just hearing so much amazing things about Isotope. I really want to play around with that. It, it really is a good a good piece of uh, a good little tool to have in your box uh, when you're doing this kind of work. It really, yeah. I've been really impressed with it. So I have to use it for no. myself. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, uh, no, real quick. I have to use it for myself because uh, my computer adds uh, a, a slight bit of hum, no matter what microphone I have hooked up when I'm running it through the USB uh, uh, interface, it adds a little bit of hum. And I don't like to send it off to people with that hum. So I uh, run it through the RX-6 and it takes that away, cleans it up really nicely with the gentle function. There's a, there's a surgical function and a gentle function. I generally use the gentle function and it just cleans it up and I send it off and they say, this is really good. You must be in a, a professional booth. I say, Soundless. Yeah. I'm in this room right here. <laughs> so so I recommend um, it. Bill Chessman added in the chat that I'm told this is going back a little bit, but I want to make sure that what he said gets added in. I'm told Levelator is also recommended for ACX narrators. So for the ACX question that that uh, that came up earlier, I wanted to uh, to add that in. And I would also let me just check the question. Um, so Caitlin asked, how does Isotope compare to Audacity? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Well, Isotope's just a plug, or what we're talking about, Isotope's a, a brand name that makes a lot of stuff. The plugin we're talking about is specifically about a, a noise removal sort of processing thing that can work with many systems, like Michael uses it in Reaper, and people can use it in other things. Um, it's not a replacement for Audacity, it is a supplement to whatever DAW you're working with. Okay, great. If, if, uh, if they're spe specifically talking about the noise reduction that comes with Audacity, 
It is really good. I mean, for something you, you can download for free, it's pretty good. It's a pretty yeah. good plug-in that comes with Audacity. Isotope is just a lot better. You know, if you can get it pretty, even if you can get it, you know, not so cheap, but to me, it's worth it. So will, does it live on your computer? It's just a separate app or a separate program? Mm -hmm. For me, it is, yeah. yeah. And then you just open that up, run it through, and then run Drop it, it in and whatever. Yeah. And then if it'll play. You get it to install on your, on your, um, your audio workstations plug-in um, setup. It'll just come up, you know. I, I got it within the, I guess, the effects menu on Audacity. Yeah comes up on there and I can just so it does come up there it's just a regular plug-in for you oh yeah now okay. now the newer version of isotope uh as lothar was saying may not the i guess rx8 mm -hmm. may not play with audacity as well i'm not sure yeah so if that's right and it doesn't you would open it outside but the nice thing about it is that if it was compatible just like john said you just bring it into your plug-in library activate enable it and then it would be there the next time you launch the program and it's part of Audacity or whatever. That's great. Well, it, it, yeah, you would use it yeah. from within there. Yeah. Right. Within that's what I mean. No, yeah. it's all in one thing. Absolutely. Um, but if you if you're using something like, I mean, I've also got Reaper and I, I like Reaper. I think it's fantastic, but I, I haven't been able to learn it yet. I haven't really sat down to try to learn it. Um you know, it'll come up very easily on the effects menu on there, uh, without any any complications. But uh uh, Audacity may not may not be as easy. Okay, great. And people who are listening, uh, please shoot more questions our way. Um, when we were that. talking about overdoing a noise removal, that reminded me of another aspect of what is sometimes called a digital artifact, which is that chimey sound. You do too much noise yeah. removal, and all of a sudden you get that weird nee, 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 that's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. The that's the perfect word for out. That. Yeah. That's what, you know, is the audio version of a digital artifact. You can do that in video too. If you overmodulate a signal or something, you'll get weird stuff appearing. And it's just like the math vomits on what it's doing. Um, <laughs> Did you say the math vomits on whatever yes, it's doing? <laughs> the math vomits. This is why it's fun to live in my head, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> That's so the perfect other, word for it, other? the chiming sound. Yes, the chiming sound. What other advice can you give people? I mean, I've gone through everything that Jack had asked us to talk about. So uh, let's just open it up. And, you know, whatever is there that you could tell, anything that you could help folks who are listening out there or if we're going to watch this video uh, for time to come, um, just something that, that you, some wisdom that you have that you could share with people about mastering their uh, audio, making a better final product. Has Michael, you want to start? Has what? anybody mastered for radio, for actual broadcast? And is there anything different for broadcast mastering for this purpose for an audio drama than what we would do for an MP3 for a podcast or something? Uh, I do some radio work, uh, uh, volunteer for a nonprofit station here in Corpus Christi, and uh, they've got very specific rules on on what I what I should do to uh, master it. I just got a. a a high quality microphone and sent them a track, a sample track so it should, and they say, don't use any other mic, but this one. And then he went through um, the graphic equalizer with me and said, and adjust this pot to this and this pot to this. And, 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 um, and, and it's very specific so that his sound 
is uh, the same for all because uh, I do it from home, but I used to go into the station and do it there. And then he would master it himself when, when I recorded it. But when I started doing it from home, he had these specific things and he would say, I really had to tweak it this time back in the day, you know, when I first, when I had a lesser quality microphone. So it's very, like you suggested, very specific um, and, and different for audio drama because your uh, listener, um, I guess, will just take what he gets. If you're a podcaster and you put it out there and your podcasting audience likes you, they'll listen no matter what it sounds like, you hope. <laughs> Is all I can say about that. Anyone else have any experience with radio? Uh, well, I, I worked in radio years ago, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a small, small town radio station, so nobody cared. <laughs> I worked for one of those two. <laughs> Conyers, you know, Georgia. You, up, you, you drive know, out of town, you can't hear it anymore. <laughs> oh, we have a question from Caitlin who says, I'm hoping to simulate. Uh, a yeah, yeah. I, as far what? What was that? Hmm, I'm hoping to simulate a Zoom call on one of my plays. How can I use something like Audacity? To give it that dragged out metallic sound. Oh, use your flanger function in uh, in uh, in the reverb because it, it, you hear that all the time. You you add that flanging sound to the beginning of the of, of the sentence, and it'll it'll sound very much like a Zoom call. Anyone else have that's great. Thanks, Pete. I didn't know that. I've never done that before. I did it no, to give an, uh, for an alien voice a few years back. I, I I flanged it to make it sound more alien-like. Cool. Does anyone have any other ways to do that? That's a great one. Or thoughts on that? Changing, adding filters or anything like that. Well, there you go, Caitlin. Use the use a flanging function. Use the flange, Caitlin. Use, use the flange and. Uh, <laughs> We'll go from there. Um, how about other things to, to add you know, about mastering? Anything we haven't covered? Anything that you guys want to talk fun? about uh, binaural sound or three D? Please, yeah, let's yeah, do that. Absolutely. Okay, I I remember I listening to and I'm listening to radio back in the eighties. NPR. I I heard a a Tom Lopez production called The Cabinet of Doctor Fritz. <laughs> I've heard binaural audio, uh, and I was fascinated by it because I listened. You know, they, I remember they had a segment on, I don't know, one of the NPR news programs, and it was just promoting this radio drama that, that was going to come out. That, you know, Tom Lopez, who had done, you know, the Adventures of Jack Flanders and, and that kind of stuff uh, that I would already listened to and thought was well, that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, you know, they, they were coming out uh, around Halloween, October that year with this sort of horror series. And I listened to a radio drama called Sticks. And Tom Lopez had basically went into the woods with his actors with a microphone that's shaped like a human head with realistic ear canals and microphones placed in the ears. And if you listen with headphones, it was like going to the movies and watching a movie with 3D glasses. You put on your headphones, you listen to this show, and it suddenly sounds, it was ultra stereo. It was all around you, it was above you, it was below you. 
and it was scary as shit um, <laughs> because it, it was it was creepy and uh, because it was you know it was 3D sound and uh, I was always fascinated by that. So uh, you know, years later when I'm doing campfire, I, I'm thinking you know I want to build one of those things. I can't afford to buy a seven or eight thousand dollar 3D binaural dummy head to do a free podcast that I'm not making any money off of. So, you know, I got a styrofoam dummy head. I got these acupuncture. Is it in back of you? Yes. Is that it? Is is it in back of you? I don't have the ears on it right now, but uh, but that's that's one of the ones that I built. It's staring at me. Tell it to stop staring at me. He's going to get you, Pete, um, (laughs) while you're sleeping. But oh, no, it, it um, you know, you put the microphones in and, you know, it, you put it in the ears. They're very realistically shaped. And something about the psychoacoustics of how our ears work, what makes the little trick of, of binaural sound work. And if you go back and look up any of Tom Lopez's stuff, um, I'm sorry, my dog is snoring right now. Oh, that's okay. I couldn't hear. But it. anyway, um, if you uh, if you if you listen to some of that stuff, it's really amazing. Uh, he's not the only one that's done it. You know, there's uh, I think Wireless Theater did some some mm-hmm. uh, binaural productions. We did a show uh, uh, where we went in the woods and recorded our voice actors. Uh, and it was a show about alien abduction. I remember um, that one. Yeah, that was good. It was a, it was a fun episode. Um, but there's other ways to do it. Now there's software and there's plugins that you can that you can do to simulate it. And does it sound as good as actually going on location with a with a 3D dummy head and recording? No, it, it doesn't sound as good, but you know, it can approximate and the technology is getting better to, to do that kind of thing. Wow. Michael, do you have any experience with binaural sound? Not not even a little bit. I remember reading about it, like John was yep. saying the first sort of made its first splash and, and certainly it's an exciting uh, concept. Um, I haven't heard of as many instances of its application as Johnson's recounted, but I know it's out there. I haven't heard anything on, on it in, in a few years, but I also haven't been looking. It sounded, I know I've seen it sounded it. very impractical. Yeah. I know I've seen it on like, you know, you can get those tapes where, you know, you put in and when you go to sleep and it has binaural sound and it's yeah. supposed to do so. That's, that's where I've heard it. That's um, it's a fascinating I, way that the, the, the whole theory behind binaural is that your brain creates closure from between your two ears and it creates sounds that aren't technically there. So that whole binaural beat theory that you're talking about, which is really what they're talking about with that whole like self-hypnosis thing is that you got one frequency coming in one ear, one frequency coming in the other, your brain makes the merge. So it's actually in your head that that sound is being created at a Hertz rate that then, you know, is going through your brain waves and creates that sort of sense. That's the weird science behind it, but um, the theory behind it. But I think a lot of that also just comes into, you've got a very good microphone that's grabbing a lot of stuff, but that's supposedly the highfalutin science behind it. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. So there's so there's the binaural or what, I guess maybe 3D sound. Well, 3D um, sound, I just looked up what Jack meant by it. He gave a link go ahead. Uh, from a Reddit thing. It's on one level, it seems like it's just about what we do with stereoscape of 
where everybody can say, oh, it sounds like it's a little bit over here. But then there was something else in there saying there's new algorithms used for video games and other stuff that actually you put it in there and it helps modify the sound as a final process to make it even more 3D. I have no idea about that. So, Does anyone have any idea? Because I have no idea. I just heard about it today. John, I wanted to ask you a question. Could I get those fake Spock ears and attach it to the uh, the dummy head to make it work, or would I have to uh, do something else? You would have to. You would have to have Spock ears to really, (laughs) yeah, really get the full effect. You would have to have natural Spock ears, I think. Oh, okay. (laughs) They say actually the uh, what the dummy heads uh, the closer the dummy heads ear shape of the ears are to your ears the more realistic the so everybody's ears is a little bit different so the way that they interpret binaural sound uh can be a little different you know oh that's interesting bill chessman says that way you'd know what things sounded like on vulcan (laughs) (laughs) but i'm curious about just a question has anybody else done anything with or know anything about those 3d algorithms or more complex aspects of 3d sound um, I, I don't know, um, you know, I, I mentioned something about there's there's plugins that sort of uh, give you the capability to do, like for instance, if if a voice actor sends you, uh, you know, their their performance, and let's say you want to replicate a binaural, you want to make them sound like uh, you recorded this with a in a binaural process. Um, you can, you can use these plugins to sort of pan that voice around within the spectrum and replicate uh, binaural sound. It's, 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 you know, it's very close to stereo. Sometimes maybe, you know, you're not gonna notice the difference, but so I've noticed playing around with it, it is a little different than stereo and it sounds a little more realistic. So I don't know if that's what they're referencing or not. Maybe that, you know, what video games, because you consider with a video game, you, you don't know exactly where to to pan the sound because you're moving around in a video game universe. Maybe, you know, if you're moving this way, then the sound's going to be to your right or to your left. So it's got to be, I guess, fluid. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly how that works. Yeah. Has anybody used any Doppler effect plugins or Doppler effect uh, algorithms or anything? So I'm looking into that and I'm curious, but just wondering if anybody else has had any experience with that. Like for a sci-fi production or something or uh, what? Well, the Doppler effect is the way that space, that, that speed and motion can affect sound. So you, you got a car moving, goes, Meow. that's the Doppler effect. It's really not okay. making that sound from the point of view of the person in the car. It's, uh, but to us, it moving out, does that thing. That's kind of the Doppler effect. And there's some plugins and expensive software that will create a Doppler effect for you. You can say, here's my sound effect in my car. It won't start here. It's going to go here at this speed rate and create that and just wondering how good those are because it sounds really cool but i don't want to spend a bunch of money on something it does sound cool yeah (laughs) it does anyone have anything on that i've tried to replicate it with with, you know a a pitch shift um you know but i think if you could if you could find a cheap or free plugin that would it would do that effect for you and do it maybe more Realistically, that would be that would be something awesome to to experiment with. I just haven't had a a situation. With, you know, occasionally you'll uh, you'll want to hear a car horn go by. You know, and have that effect, or or mm-hmm. train. You know, 
blow the whistle and it has that kind of effect. Um, but I just, in recent years, I haven't had a reason to, to invest in anything like that. Yeah. I mean, ideally uh, you can do it with automation. Mm. Yeah, you, <clears throat> experimentation, but it can be, it can be reproduced through automation. Yeah, cool. Interesting. What other gems of wisdom do you guys have to put on our, our audience here at eight o'clock on a Sunday night? We that we haven't talked about. You know, what is uh, what do you what do you guys usually use for reverb? Hmm. Uh, do you use the built-in reverb in your your uh, software, or do you you find a, a plugin uh, that, that can be purchased is better? Or, you know, what do you guys use? All of the above. Yeah, I just talk. use what's with my program. So go ahead, go ahead, Michael. Uh, the question came up on the soundscape. Uh, what was our favorite reverb? And, and the entire panel agreed uh, reverberate, which is uh, impulse response type reverb uh, because it's so realistic. It's great for rooms. It's great to set, you know, uh, a nice room ambiance and all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of good ones out there and they all have their, their, their strong points and their weak points. But reverberate is my reverb plugin. Is that a setting in a program, or is that something you purchase separately? It's, it's from a company called Liquid Sonics. It's, okay. It was their really their first flagship VSD uh, plugin, and I got it back in the early days when it was under hundred dollars, and, and I've used it uh, ever since. It's been fantastic. So does it, have, it does it have lots of choices like uh, like this, like mild or. Uh, large room or auditorium choices like that? Yeah, so they use, it uses a, a, an impulse response, which basically they go into a, a real room, they place a microphone or a set of microphones in that room, and then they make a very large, loud, transient noise, like a clap of a hand. They, they, they record that the transient on those microphones, and that becomes the impetus for recreating the actual reverb that's in the room. So yes, it'll, it, it ships with a lot of IR files for, you know, for everything from a, a small padded room all the way up to a cathedral, um, even into some more esoteric stuff like uh, a canyon. So sounds it, amazing. It is. And it, uh, it, does, it helps kind of helps model, you know, that particular space in terms of reverb. And then it gives you so many controls over, over tailoring the sound even further with EQ, with introducing some delay if you want. Uh, it's, it's a fairly fantastic uh, piece of software. It's got a little bit of a learning curve, but it, it, was, worth, it was worth the effort for me. It's, it's a convolution reverb, right? So that's, that's what uses the different IR. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're awesome. Um, that's great. Lothar, is there a way you do reverb? Um, and I, I'm going to look into it now. I used to use a room machine way back when, when I had a, a Windows box, and that wasn't available on the Mac. So I started just using the uh, AU Matrix um, reverb plugin that came with my Mac that was better than what was in Audacity at the time. And like I talked about on the um, uh, Soundscape panel, I, I do reverb a little more uh, bare bones than people with more advanced DAWs to where I just duplicate the track apply reverb to it and then adjust the levels until it sounds right. 
So um, I don't apply reverb directly to the main track. I have it sort of underneath because that way I can affect the, uh, the volume. One of the examples I gave was a scene where I had Bill in one in a scene with my stepdaughter, Danica. Danica has a really high voice. Bill had that really gravely voice and you apply the same level of reverb. They sound completely different because a more bassy person is gonna have more reverb applied to them. So I would have to adjust those levels to make them all sound the same. I would just do it manually, but now I'm hearing there's uh, better ways of doing that that I'll, that I'll look into. So um, yeah, I'm, look, I'm gonna look into Reverberator. So are there other plugins or, or other tools that you use to help with the mastering or to help with the making the show that people might wanna, might wanna know about and look into? And if so, if it's a long title, you, know, you can put it right into the chat too as well. But is, are there any other tools or plugins or whatever that you guys use that you would recommend people use? I would highly recommend to Linux Isotope, the great company. They have a mastering suite called Ozone. 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 Okay. Um, I'll type it into the chat. Um, key to, key to, to buying it is like the key to buying any soft, any uh, uh, sound software is to wait for it to go on sale. Mm. Uh, use it around the holidays, Black Friday, that kind of stuff. But their mastering suite is very comprehensive and comes. I, the best part of that, it comes with a lot of really great presets, which it really helps sort of demonstrate what the software can do. I mean, ideally, you don't use just the standard preset, you tweak it to, to, to what your end needs are, but it really helps with the learning curve uh, for, doing, uh, for doing basic mastering. So, so, so we have, have the isotope ozone, other things from folks that you would recommend that uh, our audience looks into? Plugins or anything like that? Lothar, anything else that you use um, or heard of? Or I know you just talked about buying isotope though. Whatever yeah, other than that, nothing that we haven't already mentioned. Um, okay. I would recommend uh, everybody getting a basic beginning book on mastering. You don't have to go down the rabbit hole, but at least get a good idea of what you're supposed to be looking for. Um, at least from a, you know, have that narratively given to you in some sort of, you know, whatever available book and then start to learn more. Um, I think that's been a, a takeaway from a lot of the post-production stuff is start learning the, the science behind the engineering, what's actually being done. Don't just rely on the presets and everything, really know how to, to do that. And that's a lifelong process. You don't have to worry about getting it done next week. If you're you know, worried about your, you know, you know, we don't have to worry about our bosses firing us. We can keep getting better over time. So it shouldn't be that scary, you know, but yeah, I think that's important because whenever I run into something where I'm an ignorant person about it, it's like, really wish I knew that I'd be able to do it better. I guess I better figure out another way to do it and mm -hmm. you know, be better if I knew how. So, um, so David French, Daniel French, I'm sorry, Daniel says, I use the waves mastering plugin, but I know ozone is very good. Um, so the Waves Mastering plugin from Daniel and Sharon Grunwald adds that Isotope also has educational discounts for students and teachers. So we'll throw that in as well um, for that. Pete, anything that you use that you would recommend to people? I know you mentioned a couple things, but anything else since we have some little bit of time left here? Other than uh, the levelator and um, whatever <clears throat> features your, whatever software you guys use, um, I've had to learn on the fly. Luckily, uh, like Lothar said, I'm independent producer, so nobody's going to fire me for doing it wrong. Uh, as long as it 
for me, I, I just, I don't know any of the science. Uh, so yeah. uh, if it comes out sounding pretty good, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, I don't know. It probably doesn't satisfy other people. But that's the well, you know what? I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same way, Pete. So the nice thing about this panel is that we go from, you know, somebody like me to all the way up through somebody like, you know, somebody like Michael. Yeah. And, you know, we're in, in Lothar and, uh, you know, John, who, who understand more of the science. I'm just doing what you're doing. I'm just. Does it sound yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and then I call Lothar when I have a science question. <laughs> But Lothar, I, I'll be calling you. <laughs> and then I look no, things no, up no, and go, no, I don't know. <laughs> you go call somebody else. Um, so it's uh, you know, I you know people say stuff like that to me, and I go, look, I was I was a theater professor. I I don't you know I had people who worked for me who I said, yeah, just go make that sound good. You know, you know, and and, and so it, when they did, and I didn't care how they did it, but I, they were doing all kinds of stuff that i was just, they try to explain it and i go stop please I, it doesn't i just it's like going right my head. over it's like, i don't know what yeah exactly it's like, <laughs> don't don't try to explain it um you know caitlin so, put something in the chat that um i think is pertinent about learning a little of the science not the numbers and doing the math and everything but she said i use audacity's low pass when i need to put a character in another room which, you know, that's, that's a great way. I think people might have ways of fine tuning that or doing that, but that's a really good example because if one understands that the higher frequency mechanical wave sound, you know, waveforms that are going through space, that those will stop, that those won't go through walls as much as like a bass one. So you're gonna get that bass reverb coming through the walls, but you're not hearing everything else. That explains why would you do a low pass? Well, because those high pass, that higher range isn't gonna reach you but that base is still going to. So you're simulating that by doing a low pass filter. So a little bit yeah. of that, just understanding of acoustics can help you go, what do I need to use? I don't really know, no one showed me what's going on in real life. How can I simulate that with my effects in, in my doll? All these yeah, that's a good question. If somebody's in another room and yeah. calling in or something yeah. like that, is mm -hmm. that what oh, you're yeah. saying? Yeah, and like, like on the other side I of a door or something. Yeah. Yeah, let me just clarify. I, I'm not against the science. I just don't understand it. So no, I, no. you know, no, I just, not, I just want to give a real practical the so yeah. what. You know, yeah. here's the yeah. so yeah. what as to why you should learn enough to continue to get better. Good. I, did I cut you off, Pete? I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was saying I was agreeing with you that uh, uh, oh. it was on. It, like I, um, what was the what was the uh, the person who said that, uh, Caitlin. I think it was Caitlin. Uh, yeah, I use I use that too. I, I discovered it by accident because I had Cool Edit Pro, and it's like, oh, what does this do? Oh, it does that. Wow. So um, uh, I'll use that. And I did it just in, in a recent production. Somebody's uh, on a spaceship and knocks on the door, and you hear them uh, on the other side, and that's what you use the low the low pass filter. So the low and then, pass filter. Yeah, and then the door oh. slides open, and. Uh, I use the the pan from right to left when it opened, and I use the pan from left to right when it closed uh, for the sliding door. Now, Michael or John, uh, would you add anything to low pass filter to do muffling? Is there something else you would recommend to do on top of that to make it even a little bit more um, lifelike? It really depends on the source. I mean, usually, again, you know, basing the boost, uh, uh, boosting the bass, and reducing the trouble. Again, a low pass will do that very nicely. Uh, is usually uh, in, in most cases enough for me. Um, 
uh, again, it would depend on the source. If you yeah. need to add some compression, because again, if you're if you're trying to get them to go through a door and you're eliminating a lot of frequencies, if they're they have a quieter passage, it's not you know reaching the same sort of that same sort of dynamic level as the louder stuff. Then you're going to need to compress it too, because again, it'll be harder to hear the softer sound through that door. But uh, usually, the low pass filter does it. Cool. How about other things like like would commonly come up like a lot of times in, in uh, audio drama, you know, we're having a telephone conversation. And I know in Audacity, they have a thing where it's like a preset, a telephone or walkie talkie or something, but it doesn't sound very good. Uh, is there other ways that you guys, John, is there a way that you might do something like that? Filter wise? Uh, yeah, I, I've got a, I think I've got a formula written down for us. So, oh, do you? Uh, or, or I may have saved it. Audacity, I can't remember, but um yeah, yeah, you go to EQ, and it's got yeah. like a, a list of different things, like telephone or walkie-talkie, right. yeah, or what have you, and it never sounds quite right. So you know, a lot of times you take that, maybe, maybe you run that through a low-pass, or actually a high-pass filter, uh, and then you tweak it a little more. Maybe you run it through some distortion to kind of distort it a little bit, make it sound like it's a little tiny speaker. Um, I can't remember the, there's a, a plugin that's built into Audacity that, that sort of will simulate that. They add a little distortion. Mm -hmm. uh, that's usually good with phone calls as far as I'm concerned, trying to give that effect. Mm -hmm. And um, you just kind of play with it till it sounds right, you know, run it through a number of different filters and try to get the effect for. I, I just played with it over the years until I kind of got a a formula that I was happy with, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and jotted it down and hopefully I haven't thrown it away or something. <laughs> Do you have something you were nodding your head, Lothar? Did you have something? Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things I love about Audacity, I'm sure other DAWs are the same, is that when you pull up these presets, it shows you the graphic mm -hmm. diagram of, of what's being cut off. And so you can go, oh, I'm seeing that there's this, it's not exactly right, but what if I tweak that now? What if I make my own setting? So it gets you, it may not get you to the bullseye, but it might get you on the target. And then you play around with that. And then that's also a great way to start learning what exactly does EQ do? What are the sounds? But use those, because they're like training wheels. It's like, okay, here's the, you know, here's the telephone sound, here's this, here's that. Um, and then you can start making your own profiles based on that. Exactly. And I know well, different actors that I use a lot. And I bet a bunch of people do to where it's like, if I want so-and-so to be on the phone, I already got a preset for them because they might have a higher voice than someone else. So I've already tweaked it a bit and then I save it. And I know that when Pete's in one of my shows, I can just pull up that filter, apply it to him. And now he sounds like he's on the telephone. I don't have to futz with it. <laughs> well, that's, that's a great idea. Because you never want to futz with the Lutz. No. And I know when I'm doing something like that, a lot of times I'll just, Put, put it in a different window in Audacity and I'll play with it so I'm not playing with my playing with my uh, you know line a lot of times the sound effects I'll build mm -hmm. like like when I did Mars is Heaven some of the sound effects had like eight or ten layers to them when the ship was taking off and I was just building those in a whole separate thing and then mastering and shooting them in and then so I, I would I, the only reason I bring that up is because I would encourage people to play like Lothar said and and just play in a low stakes way so that if something happens, you're not losing anything. Um, and so um, I think that's, that's an interesting thing. Um, Jack has chimed in and said, it would be awesome if people 
collected the shortcut formulas. So he's giving you a homework assignment. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bill Chessman said the frequency curve plug in used to be called equalizer. Now it's filter curve. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I went they, looking for it one day and I'm like, what the heck happened to the EQ? And, that's one of the things I do dislike about Audacity is why do you keep changing the names? You know, why do I have to keep doing an, a search of like what happened to X and then find out where it is now? Yeah, that's frustrating. And so that was just the old EQ is filter curve. Is that yeah. what he's saying in that? Yeah. Oh, that's if you don't want to Thanks, mess so. with filters, uh, if I can interject here, please, you don't please. want to mess with filters. One of the things I did for special effects was build my own uh, microphone that had a telephone element in it. Oh, cool. Uh, so that it was automatically, you, you know, you talk into it, you automatically sound like you're on the telephone because it came from a telephone receiver. Uh, you, the funny thing is you can't use the mouthpiece for that. You have to use the, the, the earpiece for that becomes the microphone. I don't know why. Huh. That's the, another science so you, thing. You took so an old you can, telephone, you unscrewed you can, it, and then you, you can do it, out unscrew it, you take out the, the earpiece, and it's got, uh, it's wired with two, yeah. two screws. You can then take your uh, microphone wires and then wrap it around the screws, tighten it down, and you've got, um, you've got your microphone. Um, and you can do that with the microphone headset or the telephone headset, by putting the earpiece into the mouthpiece and then uh, have your wire come out uh, through the, uh, the place where the, the jack went in. Then it works really well. So um, I've got one of those um, in, a, in a, you know, the ostatic lollipop microphones, the, the round ones that were on a stand. I have one of those with the telephone element in it that I use for my live productions. So when somebody's on the phone, they just step up to that microphone and they're automatically filtered by with well, you, that. you heard it here first, folks, on MadCon 2021 virtual. That, that's that's, that's a your own. practical analog way of doing it. I love it. If you oh, don't yes, want to do beautiful. it, contact me and I'll I'll sell you one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he'll sell it to you. There you go. You know, make sure I'll you make buy a you know, support the uh, vendors too, and always. Uh, All purchases go toward the production of future uh, uh, future shows <laughs> and vodka. <laughs> we got All a right, big so question what, from Bill Chessman. Oh, good. I love Bill. Um, so Bill says, when you talk about boosting the bass versus cutting the treble about what frequency would you say is the typical crossover to differentiate between the two? Anyone want to take that question? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. But I'm sure one of these guys do. John, you know that, Michael? Crossover between bass and treble, just bass and treble? At what point does bass become treble? At what point does treble come to bass if you drop down or go up, I think is what he's asking. Right, and of course, but you have all the mid too. I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Um, I wouldn't have, I'd have to play with it and listen to it. Certainly anything below 500 would be considered to be bass, you know, but low mids can start around 300. So it's, and I would say that mids probably end around 5,500, 6, 6,000, 7,000, and then above there is, high mids and trebles. So I, it's hard to say. Um, it depends on what you're trying to differentiate between. If it's just bass and treble, probably somewhere in the 
in the middle, a thousand. They're also imperfect terms that are replicating music. So you're, you know, it's coming from a musical thing, the pitch it's in, so it's gonna be a little more subjective than using direct math. Um, but yeah, I'm curious about that too. That's great, so thank you. So we're, we're down to about eight minutes left. So what I wanna do is start to wrap up and we'll start with Pete. Anything just to add, yes, Pete, please. Anything just to, um, you know, I always like to end these things with anything that you want to add that you haven't been able to, that just like in there and say, I want to say this, or any last kind of bits of, of uh, advice or thoughts to people who are listening today about mastering your audio, anything. I think what we've learned or what I've learned over the last seven or eight years that I've been doing this is that there are people out there to answer your questions. And, and, and what I love about the audio drama community is that everybody wants to help. Everybody is willing to share the information. So if you don't understand something, if you really have a question about what to do or how to make it better, there's gonna be somebody who's willing to help and give you that information. And don't be afraid to ask because uh, if you think you're doing a good job, but you're not getting the listeners that you think you deserve, maybe you need some help. So don't be afraid to ask for it. Thank you, that's great. John, how about you? Anything just to add to the conversation to wrap things up tonight? Uh, well, I, I don't know that this, this is something I was thinking about that, uh, you know, it, I don't know that it necessarily has anything to do with mastering, but okay. uh, I, I, I think uh, sometimes I, I hear newcomers make this mistake uh, when they start uh, editing audio and that is you know if you have a, a scene with two characters having a conversation uh, let's say it's in a, in a room uh, and that's the hardest thing to create a sound design for to make it sound interesting you know if you got a, a scene a script that's two characters having a conversation uh, how do you you know what ambient sound bed do you put behind that you, you can't put a waterfall you can't put you know birds singing in the background so uh you know you gotta you gotta really be creative as a sound designer and as a you know sound engineer mixer or whatever you want to call yourself when you're putting that that stuff together um and you you want to choke the the writer <laughs> when they send you something like that and in my case i want to choke myself when i when i write it. um I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? But, uh, but yeah, you, you always want some kind of ambient because that's what sound, you know, is about. You know, it's about sound. It's not just about people talking. So uh, sometimes you just really have to uh, rack your brain and try to figure out, okay, what do I do for this scene? What can I do to make it sound interesting, uh, you know, rather than be static? And a lot of that comes down to being and so once you do post-production and get into that stage, you know, sometimes there's not a lot you can do. You just try to make the best of it. But if you can figure out cool creative ways to make that scene sound interesting, then you're really, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're above your pay grade there. Well, I think that's a great, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I remember listening to Bill's stuff, Bill Holway's stuff and, you know, it, you know, we have like a, and a Lothar, you and I just talked about this not too long ago, right? You know, there'd be like a ticking clock in the background or there'd be, you know, whatever kind of household sounds, a coffee pot or, you know, and, bubbling and or in a car. There was that can the be sound a great, of the car. 
that could be a great way with the click the ticking clock especially if it's like one of those old ones that has a chime you can then have the chime come in to be like a greek chorus to like emphasize an important part of the dialogue and it's diegetic but it's also having a period underlining bolding effect um Sharon put something in the chat about this, which I think is important, which is, uh, what if you just recorded several minutes of the kind of room you want them in and just used it as the soundtrack? Room that's, tone. That's good room tone, oh, but the problem is that we still want something to be there. I remember a uh, audio drama I was listening to about six or seven years ago that took place in a hospital room, dying person, person really upset, really dramatic scene, did not, it fell flat because there was no sound except for ambient hiss, the air sound, the room tone and the two people talking. It's like, where's the heart monitor? Where's the occasional, you know, paging of Dr. Davis, telephone, please, no whatever is going on. Yeah, the hospital no is a great active background. Yes. Yeah. So don't make it so many possibilities there. Right. But then yeah. even if you're just in like a living room, okay, maybe you don't want the clock. Maybe you have a fireplace going on in the thing. Or maybe you've got a dog barking outside or some other street noises. Or maybe a TV really low, in the background. But it still makes it feel like it's long, locked into the, uh, into the room. That I think is, in my opinion, what would be John's talking about of taking it to that next level. Um, I've done some. I've done some things where uh, uh, people were talking, and, and there's a, a phonograph playing close by, yeah. and it's an old song. And then at the very end of the scene, somebody walks over and picks up the needle, mm -hmm. and the song ends. <clears throat> and so that's how you know it wasn't just background music; it was something that was part of the scene, um, yeah. and it worked really well. And so, Michael, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, words there's, of wisdom. There's so much. Um, just kind of extending on what was just what we were just talking about. Um, there's a lot of information on the internet about mixing, mastering, and recording. Uh, avail yourself of it if you're gonna get, if you're gonna embark into into doing your own audio drama. Um, there's a lot of information. Um, about recording, mixing, and mastering as it applies to music because, you know, there's just a lot more music uh, being produced, it, certainly uh, for, for money. So that tends to generate a lot more uh, educational materials as well, whereas audio dramas, we know, doesn't generate the same kind of levels of money as music does. So it's all the same. I know I've spoken to people over the years and they're convinced that somehow recording, mixing, and mastering audio drama would be completely different than music, and it's not. Sound is sound. You know, compressors work on a, on a trumpet the same way they work on a human voice. You just have to know what settings to use with the, each different sound source. So definitely do your research. Uh, listen. Listen to everything. Listen to every possible audio drama that's out there. If you're going to, chances are you're going to get inspiration from, you know, Pete's work or John or Lothar, Jack Ward, um, and you can pick up little things like, you know, if you're going to have a hospital room, not only do you need the heart monitor, but you might want to hear some, you know, some paging happening down at the nurse's station, which adds that level of realism. So to me, that was important to listen to a lot of things, to hear what's been done before, so you can sort of then build on top of that and, and hopefully take it to the next level. Thank you. And I, I totally agree with that. And I would say all that, all those people you mentioned, Lothar, Pete, Jack, everybody, uh, I would also say to you, go listen to Bill Holweg's stuff. Because um, yeah. to me, to, to me, he was the master of that. He's uh, self-taught, right? Wasn't he self-taught? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, of course he was. Oh, yeah. He was, he so was, he had to, it's he, genius. He's a graphic artist. He's a graphic artist, right? Yeah. He was, yeah, he self-taught himself, all of that. He's a musician. 
he's a guitar player too, but yeah, you know, uh, it, but you listen to Bill's stuff and it, that's a, a rich, rich soundscape going on. Lothar's too, especially um, like that. Lothar. So I'll give you the last word I hear of just anything to leave our audience with of wisdom or talk about anybody, Bill, who's, anybody who's listening that wants to get more involved, start off from the beginning, do it in a way that is really fun. We've talked about that a lot. This is a great passion to do as long as you don't let fear of, I don't know enough. Oh my God, I'm not good enough. Whatever, get in the way. Just have fun with it. Get better. Start small, finish something, learn what you can and ask people because this is a, as far as most artistic communities, this is one of the most accepting I've ever met. Um, we're still humans. Nothing's ever, we're not always singing Kumbaya, but for the most part, we all get along really well. We all are willing to help each other out because we're all DIY. Um, just have fun with it. Ask questions, send emails. Um, people will answer you. If they don't have time, they'll say, hey, uh, I'll get back to you next week, whatever. And that's a great way to bring this to a close. So this has been, uh, I am the master talking about mastering and Lothar and Pete and I will be back in about 15 minutes to uh, link up with Jack Ward and bring this whole thing to a close. We're going to land this thing coming up here in a minute. But I do want to thank John. It was such a pleasure to meet you over the last couple of days. I hope we get a chance to talk again and maybe work together sometime. Be Just, great. Uh, it, it's, been, it's been wonderful, really. I mean, uh, uh, you know, so thank you very much. Michael, thank you for bringing us a level of expertise that uh, I'm in awe of. And uh, really, thank you. And again, thank you, uh, Lothar and Pete, for joining us. I think it was a uh, worthwhile session. I know I learned a lot, and I hope the audience did as well. So thank you very nice. much for tuning in. Very we'll nice meeting you, John today. and Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your insight today. John, thank you. Jeff. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio drama. So yeah, either the main mutual audio network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.